14 through 18. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. And then next week, we're going to finish out that uh, text that God gave, that Jesus gave to the church in in verses 19 through 22. And um, it's interesting when you study scripture that is very well known, there's a pressure there. So many believers know the lukewarm spit you out of your mouth passage. And many believers are very familiar with the stand at the door and knock. So I thought, I got two messages. I'll just do two. I'll just focus on them and develop them. So hopefully the Lord has a lot in store for you this morning. So if you wouldn't mind, why don't you turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. All right, I will do the same. While you are turning there, I have a question for you. Are you a Jeopardy fan? Raise your hand if you, I don't know, is it even running currently anymore? Is it still on? Okay, all right, we stream everything now and hardly watch network primetime TV. But so raise your hands again one more time for the Jeopardy fans. Okay, even if it was in the past. Okay, so, so you're familiar with Jeopardy, right? Okay, you understand how it is, it, it's set up. Um, so so um, by the way, step aside here. I decided as an executive decision that we're going to simplify things. So you've got the notes in your sermon, your sermon notes in the bulletin, but they're not going to be up there. And we've just made some decisions to kind of simplify things. So don't freak out that it's not up there. I'm probably going to follow the notes. Um, Anyway, okay, I'm back. So, um, So if you were on Jeopardy and you selected the category Game Show Winners, for 100, game show winners for 100, and Alex Trebek read this statement, what would your answer be? Oh, the person with the most consecutive wins in Jeopardy history. We can buzz in and say it. Yes. Oh, he said it. Who is? Yes, yeah. Who, who is Ken, uh, let's see, Jennings, Ken Jennings. You got the Ken Jennings. Yeah, Ken Wright. So 74 games in a row, 74 games. Absolutely amazing, absolutely. And um, I was hoping that somebody would just yell Ken Jennings and I could say, no, it's who is Ken Jennings. (laughs) You're the man. Good job. So um, I'm really impressed with that. I don't know if you guys watched. Did anybody watch that? Watch while he was on his streak there. It was really impressive. Um, But the people at IBM, they weren't so impressed with Mr. Ken Jennings. And so what the people at IBM did is they decided to make up a game of two of the most winning and cunning Jeopardy players up against their supercomputer, Watson. Did you guys know know about this? This was a real-life Jeopardy match with a computer against two of the most winning people ever. And Watson, IBM's computer, won decisively by $50,000. It was a decisive victory. And although Watson 
won this game against these guys, his knowledge is nothing compared to the omniscience of Jesus. Amen? Nothing. Watson does not compare, not even hold a candle to Jesus. So um, in that vein, why don't we stand up and let's read God's word in honor of Jesus and his omniscience and his knowledge. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We honor your word. We set aside time this morning to hear from your word. And I ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that your word would go forth from us, that your word would be active in us, and that you would move not only here, but as we go back out those doors. Thank you for this morning, God. Be honored this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I know we've got a lot of other passages, a lot of other texts to cover this morning, but I wanted to start this morning by saying that, that the first point is that Jesus knows everything. That is, should be on your outline there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have it here up here with me. But Jesus knows everything. And this is why we worship him. That's why we're here, right? Because he knows everything and we want to get some of that. We want to be around that. We want to be involved in that. We want to interact with that. So Jesus knowing everything and worshiping him, that, that concept of his omniscience is so important. I don't want you to miss that this morning. So we've already spent a lot of time reflecting on God's word and and listening and doing some, some heart work. But I want to give you another um, passage to listen to. So John 1, 1 through 3. Actually, never mind. I'm going to cut that one because I can't. We're going to go to Colossians 1, 15. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. And this is, this is so, so good. So good. Colossians 1, 15. It just goes along so well with our passage this morning. The, the faithful and true is what it said. Faithful and true, the words of the amen, the beginning of God's creation. Listen how Colossians 1.15 develops that and just gives us, just paints this canvas, this beauty of the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1.15 through 18. All right. He meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that 
in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's our Jesus, and he knows everything, and that's why we worship him. So when you read scripture, remember who the author is. Don't just grab this book and start reading. Remember, who's the author that wrote this? Who inspired the disciples to write? Who is that? Keep that in mind. That's the preeminent Christ, omniscient. He knows everything. When you sing worship songs, celebrate the majesty of Christ through your voice. When you pray, meditate on the power and the might of our King, Jesus. In many of the Gospels, like Matthew 9, 4, Jesus responds to people that he's interacting with, with things like, because he knew their thoughts, because he was aware of what was going on in their heart, and then he spoke, and then he taught, and then he acted. Jesus knows everything. He's, he is our God. He's our Savior. He knows everything. But Jesus is not, he's not a mind reader. He's not some kind of psychic like we see on TV. He's our creator, and he knows us inside and out. The Bible says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. Jesus knows everything. One thing that Jesus knows, I believe this is the second thing, is that Jesus knows that we are a self-sufficient people. Am I right? Am I following the blanks good? All right, sweet. Jesus knows part of everything would be that we are a self-sufficient people. All right, S-U-F-F-I-C-I-E-N-T, if you want to spell it right. And if I'm wrong, somebody yell it out. Okay, so we're a self-sufficient people. And we see this as we continue to move on to verse 15, back in, in our text, Revelation 3, verses 15. Okay, it's Jesus says, and I don't know about your, this, this Bible doesn't have it, but does your Bible have red letters in it? Why is that? Because it's Jesus talking, right? Okay, so Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either cold or hot. All right, so let's just talk about this word, he knows our works, in verse 15. Okay, Jesus knows what you do and why you do it. He understands the motivations of our heart. He knows why we do what we do. And with the help of Jesus in this text, and at the expense of the Laodicean church this morning, we're going to see what a self-sufficient person looks like. I'm going to give you a template, and I'm going to ask you to put that template on yourself and see if some of these things ring true in your life. So a self sufficient person, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to develop that a little bit. 
Let's start with a definition. You think that's a good place to start? Self-sufficient? Okay. So self-sufficient is someone who is able to maintain oneself or itself without outside help, aid. Someone who is capable of providing for one's own needs. Okay, so you are able to maintain and provide for yourself. You can take care of your own needs. Self-sufficiency, okay? As Americans, especially in rural America, we take pride in this fact, right? We, we take pride in our declaration of what? Independence, because we want our independence. Ever seen the black flag in people's yard that says, don't tread on me? We want our independence. It's built into us, into the American culture. We don't need help with anything. You know people, maybe this is you, that will refuse if you offer to help them. If you offer to pay for the bill when you're out with them, they will refuse to let you do that. It's just ingrained in us. We are a self-sufficient people. And Jesus was writing this letter to a group of people in a Laodicea that were this group, this church was made up of very wealthy people. And they lived in this city called Laodicea. Okay, and so the first thing that I want you to know about a, a self-sufficient person is that they are lukewarm. That's what the scripture says this morning. They are lukewarm. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go into that a little bit more. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Ew. That's gross. Right, Raylene? That's gross, isn't it? We don't spit, do we? That's gross. Okay. So, a self-sufficient person is lukewarm. All right. So, can we take a little break here for a minute. We're just going to step aside. We'll take a little break here. So um, in September, Christy and I are going to go to a conference, uh, a worship ministry conference that I was supposed to go to last year, but didn't get to go to because of COVID. And I'm super excited about it because I've never been to this worship conference and I'm going to learn a lot, but I'm taking Christy with me a, as an accountability measure, that's always a good thing to travel with your wife if you can, to honor her. But um, while we're there and we're at this conference, we are going to celebrate our 20 years of marriage. 20 years. So, yeah. It's awesome. July 7th. We, we already have passed it, but we're waiting to go to this conference because it's in Florida. In September, so um, it's not as cold here as it was in Iowa, but Iowa started, when we lived there, it started tanking on the temperature already, so awesome, awesome that we're going to celebrate that together, so I'm going to learn a lot, but um, in 20 years of marriage, it has been so amazing to be married to her. I've spent half of my life married to this woman. That's crazy, half of my life. 
Eventually, it will be more of my life will be have been married to her than before I was married. It's just crazy that that's going to turn. Um, but over these 20 years, I've just realized how much of an amazing woman she is. And uh, she has been such a source of strength for me and an encouragement. And I am so thankful that I get to watch her grow too. And I see I'm going for tears. I'm going to keep going until they start rolling. Um, but, um, but it's so awesome to watch her beauty grow. And I'm not just talking about physical beauty, that, that as well too. She is a beautiful woman and takes care of herself so well. But I just see the wisdom and the godly character and I just fall in love with her more and more every day and I'm so excited that our kids are not coming with us and <laughs> we get to just be us for a little while. Um, so love you, Christy. Thank you for 20 years of marriage. Um, so we're going to Florida though and I don't know if you knew, I think I've said this before, we both grew up in California and we love the ocean and we went to the ocean all the time but there is a huge difference in the oceans in California, the Pacific Ocean, and in Florida, which is the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean. And do you know what that difference is? The water temperature. You could wear a wetsuit in August in California and it wouldn't be overkill. It's so cold. It's like hypothermia cold in the middle of the summer. In Florida, the water Get ready for it, because we're coming back to the message, is lukewarm. It's gross. It's gross. You get in the water, and it feel, it's like you're like running into the water, and it's like, ew, this is somebody else's bath I'm getting in. This is, this is not good. So anyway, let's jump back into the message here. Lukewarm, okay? So if you've ever been to Florida, been in that warm water, it's nice if it's December, and it's cold outside, it's nice, but it's just warm. It's about 80, it's about 80 degrees, depending on where, where you go, roughly 80 degrees. Well, that's not really warm, and that's not hot, and that's not cold. It's just kind of right in the middle, and that's why it, it kind of feels gross to me. So um, anyway, so here's what one commentary says about the people of Laodicea, and why Jesus chose to use this illustration. By the way, I don't really have to have illustrations this morning. This scripture is packed full of them. I just need to help you understand if you didn't, some things that maybe you didn't know. So one commentary says this, Laodicean, the city, had no water supply of its own. It had cold water that was piped in from Colossae, or it had hot water that was piped in from hot springs at Hierapolis. Okay, so kind of like L.A., we're from California. L.A. has no water. There is no way that they get water. They have to pipe it in from miles and miles away. And if that pipeline ever goes, there, there is no, there's no natural source of water for them. They're in trouble. Well, Laodiceans were kind of like that, but it was a very wealthy city and they had two sources. But the thing was, the springs that were cold and refreshing, by the time they came down the pipeline and got to Laodicea, what were they? Warm, lukewarm. 
and the refreshing, invigorating, therapeutic hot springs that came to them, by the time they got to them, what were they? Lukewarm. So lukewarm water is useless. It's gross. There's not something that you can do with it. So Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're neither cold to be refreshing and awesome, and you're not hot to be therapeutic. You are lukewarm. So let me break this down for you a little bit. When you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do things in your own strength, the world that we live in says, way to go. Go you. You are awesome. I am so proud of you. Oh, you be the best you that you can be. You, you are so awesome. Great job. Way to turn your life around. We have these stories where we celebrate people that turn their life around all the time. God looks at your accomplishments and achievements that are made without him, or worse yet, in spite of him, as worthless. And you are unuseful for his kingdom in your own strength. Spit you out of, you're not, it's not necessary if you're going to be like that. I don't need you. Spit you out of my mouth. Secondly, you need to know this morning that a self-sufficient person, or I don't know what we're on. Thirdly, next blanketly, all right, <laughs> a self-sufficient person has an incorrect or false view of themselves. Incorrect or false view. Okay, so look at, we're going to keep pressing on here in verse 17. For you say... I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, so do you see that, that Jesus is, he's building a contrasting list. You say these things. And I, or you are, you say, and then Jesus is saying, you are. So there's this contrasting list of things that they were, they were rich, they were prosperous, they didn't have any need, and Jesus was like, mm, no, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Matthew Henry says that the Laodiceans were the last and the worst of the seven churches in Asia. Normally the phrase is we save the best for last, right? Well, according to Matthew Henry, Jesus is saving the worst for last. And he's like, I'm going to spit you out of your mouth, out of, out of my mouth. And, and hang on with me for a second because I don't want you to get the idea that it's wrong to be rich. I don't want you to get the idea that it's wrong to be prosperous and successful because that's not what Jesus is saying and that's not what I'm saying. In your own strength, in self-sufficiency, achieving those things from God's perspective is not what he is looking for and it is worthless, your own efforts. God is the knower of everything. He's omniscient and we need to worship him and we need to let him be our provision. 
That's what I'm saying. You are not as great as you think you are. That might be news to you. I don't know, but you're, you're not that good, okay? You're not that cool. You're not that pretty. You're not that strong. There's always somebody that is just a little bit or a lot of bit better, stronger, prettier than you. You need to be humble in your personal evaluation. Be humble. Romans 12.3 says, For the grace, for by the grace, if you're writing notes, I said that really fast. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So a self-sufficient person has an incorrect view of themselves. We have pride. We have arrogance. We get puffed up. We think we're all that, and we're not. Jesus was pretty harsh on his list compared to the list that the Laodiceans had. Okay, so the next thing about a self-sufficient person is that a self-sufficient person doesn't trust in God's provision. Self-sufficient person doesn't trust in God's provision. If you don't feel beat up already, here's coming some big hits on here. Big, big ones. And what I want to do this, this, in this uh, section uh, of my message is I want to turn the corner and and have some more specific application for you, okay? So um, I wanna, I'm going to give you some areas, and um, you should see the word. Do you see the word for listed four times? The word F-O-R listed F-O-U-R times, <laughs> four times. I'm going to just go ahead and give you those words right now so that you can relax and, and just kind of take it and really maybe do some, some personal inventory, Okay. Deal? We good with that? Okay. All right. So the first thing is finances. All right. Yep. I'm going there. But really, I'm just saying what God's word says. But we, we will go there. Okay. So the second thing is atonement for atonement. Yeah. That could be a whole nother message on it itself. But we're going we're gonna to sneak kind of sneak right through that one, but we're going to talk about that, okay? Uh, third one is health, okay? Don't trust God's provision for our health. And then the last one is a self-sufficient person doesn't trust God for perspective, okay? Finances, what did I say the second one is? Finances, atonement, health, and perspective, okay? So, Let's see if you can see where I'm going right here. Anybody feeling guilty already? Anybody? <laughs> All right. I'll keep, I'll keep chipping away based on God's word, though. Okay. So here we go. So uh, finances here. This is, there is some interesting stuff about this church. And I was just so encouraged. And that, that's why we're doing, I'm doing two messages because there's just so much riches here in the depth of what Jesus was saying to this church. So important that I just wanted to end here, and then next week we're going to talk about Jesus loving us 
pursuing us, knocking on the door, and having that deep fellowship and communion with him. So be looking forward to that next week. But um, let's start off with finances, okay? All right, we've already taken an offering, okay? So we're not trying to get a good offering, all right? Just listen and relax. (laughs) Finances, nobody wants to talk about it. I counsel you to buy from me, we're in verse 18 if I didn't say that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Okay, we're going we're gonna to stop there. Gold refined by fire. You got to remember that this is the book of Revelation what is very symbolic and very prophetic. So Jesus is not saying you need to go to the Jesus ATM and buy gold bricks from him. He's getting at something. There's a, a symbolism here that has a deep meaning for us to understand prophetically in he's speaking into their life using this idea of gold refined by fire. Here's what I, I found out this week. Laodicea in AD 62. So we are in AD 2021 right now, okay? Just in case you didn't know that, sometimes pastors say dates and you're like, what? Okay, so 61 years after the birth of Jesus, the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, 61 years later, the city of Laodicea faced a massive earthquake and it was absolutely wrecked, demolished. There was, there was nothing left. And the citizens of Laodicea were so wealthy, they refused the help of the government to rebuild their city. All on their own, without any assistance, they rebuilt that city. That's how much money was in this city. So when Jesus says, rich, you get where he's going here a little bit more. Can you imagine being so wealthy? They're like, eh, we don't need to have the federal government to come in and give us aid. We don't need FEMA. Just, we got it. We got this. No problem. They did not need help from the state. That's wealth. That's riches. That's why Jesus uses the analogy of gold refined by fire. Money they had. Holiness they did not have. Self-sufficiency is what they had So they needed to be refined. There was still impurities in them that God was trying to work out. So here's the first personal application that I want to give to you guys. And I'm going to step on toes, and you can write Pastor Jim an email about it. Um, So, because I didn't ask permission to say these things. So um, this might be my last day with you guys. Here we go. Just kidding. We have three, three elders here. They'll hold, they'll hold me accountable on this. Your government has given you stimulus checks. I'm pretty sure everybody has got a stimulus check. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure everybody has gotten at least one stimulus check. Here's what's going to hurt. Has the thought even crossed your mind that God wants you to use that money in his service? Has that thought even crossed your mind? If not, maybe you're a self-sufficient person and you're focused on yourself. As God has blessed you, 
through the government that he establishes and puts in place, would you consider sacrificially giving, tithing? This church has a roof that's fallen in and we need to renovate so that we can be more effective in ministering to God. And you know how he does that? Through the finances of the saints of this church. What are you doing with your riches? We are, I've heard it said, the wealthiest nation in the world. We shouldn't have broke down churches. We were wealthy. We, we are rich beyond measure, but we're so self-sufficient and focused on ourselves. We're missing out on what God wants us to do with the riches that he provides us. Laodicea rebuilt their city after it was in shambles. And here's the second thing, atonement. That's a, that is a big word. It's not that crazy. But the city was wrecked, right? There was just rubble everywhere. And they rebuilt it. Well, here's my challenge for you. When you make a wreck of your life, do you try and build up things and cover up the wreckage of your life? Do you pursue career as a covering, as a front for the shame of sin in your past? Do you attempt to gain all the riches in the world as attempt to heal the brokenness that you have? Atonement, Jesus covers our sin. He said that you are blind, wretched, pitiable, naked, and you should cover yourselves with, with white garments right here. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Do we trust God in his atonement? The Lexham Bible Dictionary says this about atonement. Atonement means the reconciliation between God and people. It emerges in the Old Testament as part of a sacrificial system and is reframed exclusively around the person and work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Atonement is one of the few theological terms with roots in the English language. It's the process by which two typically estranged parties are made at one with each other. We can't cover the shame of our sin. When we mess up and we go off the rails... We can't cover it. You can't take it away. It doesn't disappear. We need to be covered. Our shame and our nakedness is covered by the atonement of Jesus, the sacrificial gift of his life. We don't fix things. We allow the Savior of the world to fix things and give him the voice into our life and give him the credit to rebuild our lives. Laodicea had a really strong textile industry. 
And so, again, this concept of riches, there's a reason why they were rich. They had a really strong banking industry, and they had a really strong textile industry, and which means like clothing, right? Okay, so Laodicea produced black wool clothing. That was their main staple, black wool textiles. So when Jesus in those red letters says, you need to put on white garments, he's like, your life are black and stained with sin, just like that wool that you wear with pride. That's the way you are. You need to pursue righteousness and purity and put on a white robe and be cleaned. Isaiah 64 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Another translation says, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Filthy rags. We need to pursue God and his holiness and purity in our life. Do you maybe feel like the black sheep sometimes in your family? Maybe in your workplace? Are you attempting to cover the sins of your past with money, beauty, success, relationships, anything other than accepting the loving benevolence of our Father in the forgiveness of sins is not what God is looking for, is not helpful. It's black wool clothes. It's filthy rags, and it's not going to work, not successful. Go to Christ. How about health? How about our health? Laodicea had a medical school at the temple of Asclepius, I think is how you say it. And one of the main things that this medical school was known for was they had come up with with a salve that they would anoint on people's eye troubles that were, were common in the Middle East. So when Jesus says, white, you need to get, buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now this is, this is ringing close to home for me because I had COVID and it has wrecked me. It, is, it has hit me really hard. But what Jesus is saying is that 2,000 years ago, they had the medical capabilities to create an ointment that would fix eyes. 2,000 years later, what kind of capabilities do we have? We can cure cancer. We can replace chopped off arms, sew them back together. We can give birth to a child that is too months old and survive. It's amazing what 
we have available to us in our health care. We are so blessed by what we have. But the question is, are you as quick to take your health concerns to the great physician as you are to your doctor? Are you as quick to take your medical problems and things that are frustrating to the pastor, the physical, the creator, the sustainer of the world, Jesus? Or do you find yourself dialing up OSF on-call physician? If that's your first call, you are a self-sufficient person. Your first call, and I'm talking to myself here, your first call should be to the guy who knit you together in your mother's womb. His Jesus is so much better than an ultrasound machine or than the latest and greatest procedure. Jesus is God. He is everything. He can provide everything for us, and we need to go to him first, not as a secondary thing. And lastly, perspective. Perspective. This is kind of simple, something that I saw on there. If you break the word provision, okay, so we're talking about um, a self-sufficient person doesn't trust God for doesn't trust in God's provision, okay? Doesn't trust in God's provision. So if you look at that word, there's two words in that, pro and vision, okay? Pro and vision. So here's a little encouragement for me. I'm gonna preach for a little bit, all right? Why don't you go to the pro and ask him for some vision in your life? He wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into your finances. He wants to speak into your health. He's the pro. He is Jesus. He is everything. The firstborn over all creation. The preeminent one. He was there at creation. He created you in your mother's womb. He wants to give you a vision for your life. Yeah, They had a salve that might fix a medical condition, but they couldn't fix their spiritual blindness. Didn't help them at all. This is what he talked about with the Pharisees all the time. You see things one way, and this is the way it actually is. You list up all of these burdens on people and don't do things on your own. You are whitewashed tombs. You're hypocrites. Jesus wants to give us vision in our life. Vision, and that comes from denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and getting that godly focus on all of those areas in our life. And it begins with recognizing that we all struggle with self sufficiency. And next week, we're going to talk about if you don't repent from that, guess what's coming? Reproof. And discipline. So he says, be zealous and repent, because guess what? I discipline the people that I love. Out of love for us, I bring discipline. So do you want to avoid discipline? Do you want to avoid the reproof of God? Then listen to the words 
of Scripture and make changes and repent zealously. We'll talk about that more next week, though. I want to end this morning right where we started. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Josh kind of had a little more laid back, subdued worship time this morning. So I'm going to ask Josh if, if he would come up and he's just going to play some music for us. And I want to start right where I want to end, right where we started. And if we could bring the lights down to like almost off, um, that, would be, that would be great, Roger. Thank you. As Josh is playing, just some simple things. I'm going to read Revelation 3.14. And I didn't read John 1.1. I'm going to read that now. And I'm going to read Colossians. Because I want you to walk out of here not with a picture of how much you're messing up and guilt and shame. If, if, if you are feeling guilty and you do have shame, this is the place. You're in the right place. All you have to do is unload it at the foot of the cross right there. You don't have to walk out of here with guilt and shame anymore. But if you don't leave it at the foot of the cross, you're walking out of here with the same black wool that you wore when you came in here. So if you need to do that, do that. Repent. We have an elder there. Where is that? Where is that? There's an elder right there. There's an elder right there. Go find them. Come to, the, come to the altar here and pray right while I'm talking. Get rid of that. But I want to leave you with the image and the picture of Christ that is started off with. And one other thing that is so cool. I saved this. Saved the best for last. In Revelation 3, 14 says this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen. Listen to this. What do we say at the end of prayers? Amen. You know why that is? May it be so. I agree. Who are we agreeing with? God. We are agreeing. This is our need. We lay it down at your feet. But guess what? You are God. I am not. You know who is writing to the church of Laodicea? The amen, not the end of the prayer, the beginning. He's like, I am the amen. The answer is talking to you right now. Right now, the amen is Jesus. So how about this? When you pray next time, start with amen. Speak to me. Boom. End of prayer. You're done. Amen. Speak to me. May it be so. I just want to hear. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. There's your prayer. Start with it. Don't say all your stuff. And then say, okay, God, now fix it. Here you go. Start with that. And that is only going to work when you know who Jesus is. When you understand the preeminence of Christ. And these words are so important. The angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen capitalized amen faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation let these words just wash over your heart maybe just close your eyes and just listen amen John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word 
and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's our Jesus. Colossians 1. One of my favorite passages in declaring and explaining who our Jesus is. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. He And he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to be self-sufficient. He doesn't want you to look at the world the way you look at the world. He wants you to look at the world through his eyes. Allow him to be your provision. Be a useful, moldable tool in the hands of a loving God that wants us to work, worship, witness, and walk with him. And that comes through humility and approaching him as Jesus, as Christ, and allowing him to give you the vision and the perspective of your life. And that perspective starts with the atonement on the cross, giving us forgiveness, covering our shame, resetting us so that we can experience him in purity and his tender, loving compassion for us. His kindness leads us to repentance. If you need to repent and accept Christ this morning, if you feel like you're gonna get spit out by God, because of sin in your life, that is a right and true feeling that can be settled right here and right now by confessing your sins. I need you 
I want to have that white linen. I don't want to be pursuing things and trying to fix things on my own. I want you this morning because I see who you are. I see what you can do. I see what you've done. And I see what you're going to do because he's coming back. He's going to get us. And he's going to create us a whole new world. We're going to continue to worship with him and be in his presence with white robes, victorious because we overcome sin in our life through the blood of the cross. That's Jesus. Jesus knows. So we worship him. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Strong, powerful, mighty. I pray that you have moved this morning, not because of my words, but because of the proclamation of your words, the red words, the amen. You're the beginning. You were there at creation. You're here now. And I pray that you would just continue to move, Lord. Show us your love. Bring those to repentance that need to trust in you for salvation. Thank you for the atonement that covers our sin and shame. Thank you for your provision, Lord. You have been so faithful to this church over the years, providing godly pastors to bring the word, providing renovations, providing property when property was needed. And right now we're asking, Lord Jesus, that for your sake and for your glory, that you would fill this place with the riches so that we can have a roof to minister more to you. Fill this place with a nice room so that we can fellowship together as we are unified in the spirit, moving and, and trying to foster the fellowship and community that you have here, Lord Jesus. We know that you can provide. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord Jesus. And we know that you could fix this roof. You could fix this roof supernaturally right now in the blink of an eye. But you could also raise up a godly people to sacrificially give to this work. And I ask that you would give Pastor Jim and I and the elders the wisdom to be good stewards of the money that you give us. Help us to be faithful in the riches that you provide for us. And we know that that begins by looking to you and trusting that you're going to do what you're going to do. And we leave that in your hands, Lord Jesus. We love you this morning and worship you for who you are. And now we're going to say, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>